Today on Ag News Daily. So a lot of the research that we focus on in South America lies in the southern part of Brazil and then across into Argentina, as their production practices are most like ours in the Midwest. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Today is May 24th. Wow, it's May 24th already, and this weekend is Memorial Day weekend. But I am your host, Delaney Howell, and joining me is my other host, Mike Pearson. Mike, what do you know today? I know all kinds of things, Delaney. I am an encyclopedia of facts and figures and and generally worthless uh, information. But (laughs) I do know that we are on the verge of launching the agnewsdaily.com website, are we not? We are. We keep saying that, I know. We're like teasing everyone, but we are really, really close, I swear, this time. Yes, it is very, very close. It's so close we can taste it, and it tastes like mm-hmm. silicon, I suppose, whatever whatever the image <laughs> is made out of. Let's see. That's all I got, Delaney. Do you have anything uh, worthwhile we need to talk about? Anything going on in your world? Um, no, we had a really exciting meeting this morning. I'm still kind of gushing over it with an ad agency in Des Moines, and we have some big plans ahead. We're going to be doing a lot of public appearances here in the next really the next month, to get the name out about Ag News Daily. That's right. And hopefully, at some point in the near future, we can sell out. Right, Delaney? That's right. Sell out and cash yep. in. Give us those <laughs> dollars, ladies and gentlemen. Yep, yep. I mean, it really is a full-time job, so we say it jokingly. But, you know, I want this to be the only job I have to do. So I hear that. Yeah. I, hear that. I still like doing all my other stuff. But I like this I know I do just too, as much. But... Yeah. Yeah. So that is all very exciting, folks. Do stay tuned. Uh, be sure to go ahead and bookmark the agnewsdaily.com on your uh, favorite browser and uh, refresh it tomorrow and Friday, and maybe there will be a happy surprise for you. That's right. For now, I think it just says website under construction. So I think it does, which is, which is fairly accurate. Yeah, it is. So we got anything in the world of news, Delaney? Ugh, there's just budget stuff up and down. I tell you what, it's just flooding my inbox and it's flooding the news snap is one of the big controversial things that has been proposed to be cut with this new budget and yesterday I reported it would be 193 billion dollars that would be cut over the next decade there's a lot of also a lot of cuts also being made to the USDA and FDA which I know we've talked about before but it's still just very real. Um, Crop insurance is one of those big things that President Trump is proposing to downsize. And so he's proposing that we cut crop insurance by $29 billion over the next 10 years. And with that, we would have a $40,000 premium subsidy cap. So just just lots Mm. of stuff about budget. And and all of this, Delaney, is just Trump's proposed budget, correct? Yes. And there was a comment, I believe it was Lindsey Graham, basically said there is a snowball's chance in hell of this mm-hmm. budget passing. So well, iTunes, don't don't revoke our, uh, <laughs> our clean rating for it. That was a quote from a senator. So That's right. It doesn't I mean, they sound have... like this plan is going to take effect, but it's one of those yeah. things that we have to talk about because it shows us what President right. Trump is thinking. Yeah, the, it's uh, they Congress has until I think September 30th to revise and edit and push through the finalized bill for fiscal year 2018. Okay. 
Got so we got a while, but really when you think about all the work that they put into it, it's not really that long of a time. No, no, it's not in the, you know, you got to remember Congress doesn't work every day like uh, right. most other things. They, they you know, set their own schedule and mm-hmm. three-day weekends and, you know, <laughs> yep. long breaks periodically, yep. of course, to get yep. back and reconnect with their constituents. But Delaney, while we're on the topic of the budget, one of the things that came up that is also generating pushback, it's not just SNAP. President Trump said he wanted to find ways to help balance the budget. And one of the ways we talked about yesterday was selling off half of the U.S. Strategic mm-hmm. Petroleum Reserve. And lawmakers are really pushing back on that. Uh, Basically, you know, this was sent to Congress on Tuesday, and already uh, Senator John Hoven from North Dakota is saying, hey, we should not be selling any oil from here. We also had uh, Senator Lisa Murkowski, both of those Republicans, said we don't need to be touching this. Basically, they're all worried that as we start to pull more oil out of the SPR, basically it puts more oil onto the world market and pushes oil prices down, and uh, that's their major concern. So do they think that's that's not a good thing then, right? Right, because both of those, you know, Alaska and North Dakota, fairly big oil production states. And then there's the other argument, which is I, it's coming more from the left. Senator Maria Cantwell of Washington mm-hmm. said, we cannot let Donald Trump auction off our energy security to the highest bidder. And mm-hmm. the pushback well. from the Trump administration and, I guess, ethanol producers is, hey, we've still got plenty of uh, energy security given hydraulic fracturing, given the Bakken and the Texas shale production, and given, of course, the capacity that we have for ethanol in this country, we can be energy secure. So we will, I'm sure, hear more fights about the uh, petroleum reserve going forward, even mm-hmm. if President Trump's budget just gets uh, you know, tossed in the trash. <laughs> I'm sure we will. Um, in other news, the Plant-Based Food Association met Tuesday with a group of FDA officials to talk about developing potential standards around some of those terms like soy milk and almond milk. We've we've talked about this just a little bit before, but the dairy industry and some of those other industries are kind of irked by, you know, by labeling of things like soy milk and almond milk, which imply that they're milk or dairy products when in fact they are all plant-based products. So milks, cheeses, yogurts, all of that stuff, they are trying to get some new standards set that would differentiate the plant-based products versus the actual dairy-based products. You know, I think that would be fantastic if they could take the lead and redefine those those uh, beverages mm-hmm. on their own rather than getting the ag community into a fight over what is milk and what isn't. I mean, I'm a big supporter of almond beverages if you like that sort of thing but gosh why do we have to why why should the dairy industry have to fight to keep the name milk on dairy products you know almond yeah you know whatever hazelnut what what other types coconut coconut yeah juices you know yeah they're not i i don't really i've tried to drink them before because everybody says they're so much healthier for you and i i can't drink them i don't like the taste yeah dairy is real dairy real milk whole milk is tough to beat you know? Oh, whole milk to me seems chunky. Oh, Delaney, it is Although, not. It's, it's the best <laughs> for you. It fills you up. Oh, it's got the right amount of protein and yeah, the healthy fats. Yeah. And We did have that conversation one time when I told you I drank skim milk. And since that conversation, I've now started buying 1% and 2%. Hey, that's baby steps. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, there's a comedian, and gosh, I'm blanking on his name right now, Jim Gaffigan. 
I think, who says he doesn't like skim milk because skim milk is just water that's lying about <laughs> I've heard being that. milk. I yeah. think it's Jim Gaffigan. My sister puts uh, half and half on her cereal in the morning. Ooh, that's yeah. even chunkier. It's not chunky. It's creamy. It just seem, it seems chunky to me. Yeah, well, that's that's psychological. That's a Delaney issue, not a milk <laughs> issue. Let's see. I've okay. got some other news that came out today. This afternoon, the Federal Reserve Board met and um, basically didn't change anything, which was expected today. But they did hint that they are going to continue raising interest rates gradually. And they also said their plan is in place to uh, phase out reinvestments, basically that bond buying program that they had started, geez, way back in 2008, quantitative easing, they're going to phase that out beginning in the fourth quarter of this year. So they're starting to reduce stimulus, stimulus, and they are going to continue to increase rates given everything stays the same from now until June when we'll probably see that next uh, rate hike. Well, I just had one other news story, and I know, Mike, you had it as well, so it must be big big news news if we both have it. (laughs) Um, Glencore, another merger or possible buyout here, Glencore is considering buying the grain trading company Bungie. And I thought that was interesting because I actually interned for Bungie during college. And honestly, not a lot of people, unless they um, trade or sell their grain to Bungie, not a lot of people in the ag industry are really familiar with that country, with the company. So Glencore, from what I noticed, Mike, and maybe you saw something different, does a lot of mining, coal mining. Yeah, they're in commodity production in yeah. general. They're uh, they're kind right. of a broad broad scale industry. And so from what I've noticed, it said they didn't do a lot within the grain sector, and that's why they were considering buying Bungie. Yeah, you know, they're, uh, it'd be interesting because right now for, for ag journalists, well, for a lot of folks in agriculture, the ABCDs of grain trading are, of course, Archer Daniels Midland, Bungie, mm-hmm. Cargill, and Louis Dreyfus, the May, the big four. And now Glencore is going to throw that all out of whack. It's going to be the AGCD potentially. But it sounds like as things stand right now, Glencore is really just looking at the North American grain trading arm of Bungie. It doesn't sound as though they're they're looking at a whole wholesale purchase. Uh, they are in discussions with Bungie about that, just that North American grain trading arm. And Arlen Suderman, who is a well-respected uh, economist and commodity uh, uh, expert, notes that something that I think a lot of us in agriculture see. He says a lot of consolidation comes when you're in tough times, and agriculture is certainly in tough times. And whether you're looking at input suppliers or now the grain trading companies, we're going to see this consolidation pick up as investors want greater returns in an industry that's stagnating a little bit on lower prices. Yeah, and another thing I just noticed here in the article I'm looking at, Bungie is um, declassifying its board I think later this week at their annual meeting, which makes them a little bit more vulnerable to target like for buyouts or mergers or that kind of a thing. Interesting. I hadn't seen that aspect. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So boards typically provide protection against takeover tactics, um, solicit time to solicit higher bids, etc. So without that board protection, I think that's part of the reason why Glencore, you know, is getting on, getting on it 
Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And there was another comment here in Bloomberg that uh, both Louis Dreyfus and Anderson's Inc. could be additional takeover targets. Mm. They both rejected that, but uh, or at least declined to comment on it. But as we're looking at, at potential merger or acquisition targets, I guess those two names are also being floated around. Interesting. Well, Mike, did we see any reaction from that in the markets today? All right, Delaney, I don't know that we're seeing anything specific in response to this story. It looks like today the market's uh, theme is just a rebound from that fairly substantial sell-off we saw yesterday. As we start in the corn pit, July old crop corn climbed one and three quarter cents to finish the day at 371 and a quarter. The December contract up two cents, finished at 389 and three quarters. Over in soybeans, the July contract was unchanged from yesterday, finished at 948 and a quarter. Novi beans down a half a cent, finished at 948 even. In the wheat pit, the Chicago contract July dropped, whoa, July wheat, Chicago wheat up three cents, closed the day at 432 and a half. December wheat up one and a half, closed at 467 and three quarters. Looking over at the world of livestock, here we've got a little bit of a different picture. June live cattle dropped 80 cents today to finish at 122.27 and a half. The August live cattle contract dropped $1.20, closing at 120.12 and a half. Looking at live, excuse me, feeder cattle, the uh, oof, August feeder cattle contract dropped $2.60 a hundredweight, finished at 148.90. September feeders dropped 272 and a half, closing at 148.95. In lean hogs, the June contract up a nickel, closed at 80.20. The July contract down 27 and a half, closed the day at 79.75. And as we take a look at the June milk contract, class three milk closed up 13 cents, finishing at 16.34. Now, Delaney, of course, a lot of farmers are looking out at wet, soggy fields for the past several mm-hmm. weeks, and they're wondering, geez, what? How is this technology going to help me? And we're going to talk seed technology and uh, plant technology today, aren't we? We are. We're talking to Dawn Repsell. She is a field development manager for Valent, specifically the Midwest regions, and they do corn, soybeans, mostly a little bit of wheat, but mostly focusing on those row crops and weed management, soil health, really anything to do with crops. So let's yeah. kick it off to Dawn. This afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, we have Dawn Refsell. She currently works for Valent, and she is the manager and field development for the Midwest. But Dawn, you also farm in northwest Iowa with your family. Is that correct? Correct. So tell we us. We have just a, a great. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, tell us just a little bit about it. But you are already on your way too. So. I am. My family has a grain and livestock farm. Um, our grain side consists of corn and soybeans, and then we run cattle, feeder cattle. Gotcha. But tell us, how did you get started working for Valent? So I have a uh, diverse career path is how I would start. Um, I did my undergrad and master's at Iowa State, and I was, as a as in youth, I was very active in 4-H, FFA, um, but I loved 4-H, became very well acquainted with Iowa State, went to Iowa State for college, um, loved the extension system. Um, I believe in everything the land-grant university stands for. And so, therefore, I wanted to work in extension. So when I graduated with my master's, I went to go work in extension at the University of Illinois for six years. 
And so um, with the reorganizations and budget cuts affecting land-grant universities and the extension system, I had to seek opportunities elsewhere. And so with that, I chose a position with Valent. I came over to Valent as a field market development specialist, which is a hybrid position within Valent where you have uh, responsibilities for technical service and research. I've been in that role for six years, and then the last couple years, I've been managing our field development team for the Midwest. Now, Don, tell us exactly what kind of research do you end up doing in the field over there? So we have a diverse portfolio when it comes, if you're looking at uh, valent within the United States. We have your, our traditional chemistries, insecticides, fungicides, herbicides. We have our seed treatment platform. But what's unbeknownst to a lot of people is our biological platform. And Valent has been in the biologicals probably longer than any company, any major manufacturer within the United States. Hmm. Um, so we have a very large biological platform. And that's probably more well-known within the tree, fruit, nut, vine area, fruits, vegetables. And so a lot of our research that we're doing now is integrating that biological platform from these specialty and vegetable crops back into row crops. And now, now, when you say when you say biological, what what does that what does that platform look like, or what does that mean exactly? This includes the BTs, plant growth regulators, okay. um, rhizobia, mycorrhizal fungi. I mean, the list can go on and on. But how we would describe them are uh, items that are naturally found within the environment. We're just using them to um, amend or manipulate how the plant performs. Now, okay. the biological market has taken, really taken off here in the past three or four years. I'd, I'd say for most folks in the Midwest, we've really kind of uh, heard more about it. Where do you see Valent going with their product line over the next 10 years? What uh, what kind of research are you working on today that should uh, get us excited in the, the row crop world? I think a lot of it has to do with Taking our application methods for fruits and vegetables are much different than that for row crops. You're having to cover a lot of a greater area per se. And so a lot of our advancements are going to be in how we deliver the product to a corn and soybean grower, for example. The, the active ingredient is the same, but our delivery method may change. So we're taking something that may have been applied through a drip tape, for example, for a vegetable, but we're going to have to figure out a different delivery method or application method for it to be applied to corn. Now, remind me which states are part of your territory that you cover. So my area that I work with my team consists of the Ohio River Valley all the way to the Rockies. Cool. And then we cover everything from southern Missouri, Oklahoma, north up to Canada. Wow. wow, a lot of diversity in there. Yes, you can go to, I say monoculture, but corn soybeans is a monoculture type pro production. But we have um, dry beans, sugar beets, canola, alfalfa, wheat, pumpkins, uh, horseradish. Mm. There's a lot of diversity that ends up occurring in little niche markets. And Valent has a very large play in those smaller markets. 
Now, I wanted to ask you, uh, I know you've done some research down in South America. And, of course, we've had a focus on Brazil over this past week as uh, their president, Michel Temer, has come under fire. Can you tell us uh, where exactly you've done some, some research down there? So a lot of the research that we focus on in South America lies in the southern part of Brazil and then across into Argentina, as their production practices are most like ours in the Midwest. The growing season is longer, albeit, but the rotation for the most part, the weather is most similar to that in the, in the Midwest. So we can um, test materials back and forth, somewhat similar to uh, corn breeding or soybean breeding, where they can get extra growing seasons in to, for increasing production lines. We can do the same with uh, research. We can conduct trials in South America and uh, evaluate a product faster in order to get it to market and assess its value. Gotcha. I, I think you mentioned to me when we had a phone call prior to this that uh, weed management was different as well as pesticide management. They, we're kind of vice versa between the two areas. Is that right? Yes. It's There's a lot of stark differences between South America and North America when it comes to weed management or pest management in general. We look at only applying maybe one fungicide application. And right now, you know, given our, our market, that's a, a weight that a lot of people are debating, whether they want to spend the money on that type of input. Insecticides the same way. Um, weed management, as you know, is a mainstay. But specifically, the insects and um fungicide, they're making up to six applications in a single growing season. So we mm. contemplate even making one where in South America, they're driven to do six, up to six, because of the warm temperatures and um, just the amount of inoculum and insect pressure that exists in that area. Now, how can that be profitable for those growers i mean we're we're looking at the break even making one pass how can making six and unless their yields are that much bigger how, how does that pencil out down in south america have you talked to growers about that it's a it's a balance okay. um they still are profitable obviously otherwise they wouldn't be competing with us in the the larger global market yeah um but they absolutely pencil this out and they um they know what they have to do to protect their crops. Um, in order for them to produce these yields, they they must make these applications. Okay. Is is most of the technology that they use more advanced than the U.S.'s or right at the same playing level? It depends on what we're looking at. So there are some insect traits that are further advanced for South America. Um, specifically in soybeans, for example. But when it, we're talking about weed traits, herbicide traits tend to be more advanced in North America. So the weed problems aren't as advanced in South America, whereas our insect and um, disease issues aren't advanced in North America. So we kind of have that flip-flop back and forth over what our major pest problems are. Interesting. One of the challenges we're seeing more and more, at, or I guess climbing farther and farther into the Corn Belt, is uh, a glyphosate resistance. Is that much of a pressure mm -hmm. down there, or is that not something they have to worry about? They have to worry about that down there also. Okay. Um, 
Then other issue is they are just getting introduced to Palmer Amaranth. And as you know, oh, that's oh. A, a large issue here in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, they identified it two years ago in South America, and so it's continuing to spread around um, their area. The primary driver weed, though, in South America tends to be grasses. They have issues with grasses resistant to herbicides, where we tend to be more driven by broadleaf weeds resistant to herbicides. Hmm. So does Valent have offices in South America, or did you just partner up with some groups down there to do your research? So Valent is part of Sumitomo Chemical Company, which is a Japanese company, as you could probably guess by the name. <laughs> and in South America, um, we are known as Sumitomo. And so in South America, we are a manufacturer and we work with distributor partners to distribute our product out to the consumer. So no one sees the name Valent in South America. Valent only exists in the United States. Oh, interesting. Okay. Now, what's okay. on the horizon here for uh, for American growers for for your grower partners up here in the uh, in the Corn Belt? What what uh, what do we need to have on our radar as things that we should be incorporating into our growing systems? I think one of the things that we can incorporate into our growing system is our biological platform. As you mentioned, we're hearing a lot more about that in the last couple of years. And we have some products within Valent. MycoApply Endoprime is one of them. It's an inferro mycorrhizal fungi application for corn. And we are taking the mycorrhizal colonization and making it a little more facilitated process for the corn plant. So what this does is create an extension of the corn root. So it's hard to think of needing an extension of your corn root system right now, given the amount of moisture that we have. Mm-hmm. But we never know when the rain's going to shut down, and we need to have an extensive corn root system come July, August, when um, we're turning all of these um, nutrients, moisture, into yield into that corn plant. Could you just tell us a little bit about what, for those who aren't familiar with it, what is mycorrhizal fungi? And as you mentioned, it helps grow the root system, but, you know, why, why isn't it in the soil already? It is in the soil already, mm. and so... We are just facilitating the process is how I would describe it and helping it become established. So mycorrhizal fungi are typically found in um, areas of low disturbance. So if you want to go back to when the Midwest was all prairie, mycorrhizal fungi were very, very abundant. You can also find mycorrhizal colonization under no-till acres because you have uh, lack of disturbance of the soil, so this network of fungi are able to establish themselves. Don, I just have one one more question for you. What what um, effects or problems have you seen in your research across the Midwest specifically because of weather, and what are some things that farmers can do to curb some of that damage? Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> um, um, snorkels for corn and soybeans would be a, a good development. Um, <laughs> Snorkel. <laughs> but right now, I think, um, you know, we're kind of past the window, but I can see a big difference between um, the soybean seed, for example, that was treated with soybean seed treatments 
Um, most of our beans across the Midwest have been exposed to cold, wet weather, and that environment is very conducive to, to disease. Um, we've seen the same thing in corn. Um, I suspect we'll see quite a bit of, of pythium seed rots going on. Mm-hmm. Um, just making sure that we're ensuring the seed when we put it in the ground with a seed treatment is very important right now. Um, the other thing to look out for is making, you know, I know we're under crunch time to get the seed in the ground, but making sure you get that foundation of a herbicide out there. You yeah. know, again, on soybeans, our options are getting very, very limited for controlling um, all these resistant weeds. And mm-hmm. so our pre's are our foundation and our major backup plants. We have to have them in place. You bet, Don. Uh, Don Refsel, can you tell people how they can get a hold of you if they have any additional questions or uh, or further thoughts on Valent products? So we have a website, www.valent.com, and you can go to the website. There's a sales rep finder, and you can enter your zip code, and it will find a sales rep for you, and we'll be glad to help you in anything possible. That sounds perfect. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us and for uh, filling us in a little bit on on how things look in South America and up here in the U.S. Corn Belt. Don, really appreciate it. You're welcome. Wow, really a lot of great insights there from Don. She definitely knows her crop science, that's for sure. That's true. And it's so interesting when we talk about South American growing season, you know, we're always trying to compare it to the North American season. You know, the, the challenges that they face really are, I guess, as would be expected, given they're on a, on a separate continent, there are quite a few fairly big differences between uh, our two production styles. Yeah, but I thought it was interesting that a lot of the research or they can do a lot more research in Brazil because, or South America, I should say, not specifically Brazil, but South America because of their longer growing seasons. True, true. They can get more uh, more bang for their buck, it sounds mm-hmm. like, for their yeah. research dollar. Now, Delaney, as we take a look through the rest of this week, we've got some other fun podcasts coming up. We will be talking to, uh, to more experts in the world of agriculture and all-around knowledgeable folks. And, of course, at the end of June, well, I guess we ought to tell people where we're going to be in the month of June. And we will be where, Delaney? At the World Pork Expo? Yeah, so we'll, we have three big events coming up. We'll be at World Pork Expo June 7th through the 9th. Uh, big Red, is it Big Red Tractor Days? Is that what it's it called, It is Mike? the Red Power Roundup. Red, I wrote down the wrong thing today during our meeting. That's okay. The Red Power Roundup, it is being held here in Des Moines. It is expected to be the largest gathering of international tractor enthusiasts, certainly in Iowa history, and in my conversations with uh, the family putting this on, possibly in history. Well, that's exciting. We have lots of red machinery at my house. Well, good. I've got a lot of orange, but I'm really not, uh, (laughs) you know, not all that picky. Mm-hmm. And then, like we mentioned the other day, we will be at the FarmHer conference in at the end of June, and they are they are also launching their own podcast. So we'll do some cross promotional stuff with them, but we'll make sure to let you know how you can find access to their podcasts. I really think these podcasts are the way of the future. What do you think, Mike? 
Well, I certainly hope so. We're spending a lot of time on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. It'd be me nice to, to cast a bet correctly for once mm-hmm. in my life. You know, I'm always okay. selling low well. and buying high. Hopefully this time we're, we're getting in at the right, uh, in the right industry at the right time. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully. But with that, Mike, do you have anything else to add? I don't, Blaney. Should we let the people go? Let's let them go.